0: Well, hello, I'm Neil Taylor, and welcome to the very first episode of Let's Talk About It, a new podcast from Erwin Mitchell about what it's really like living with a disability. We'll be talking about life at home, at work, when you're travelling, and today about playing sport. Joining me are two astonishingly successful Paralympians, Hannah Cockcroft and Alfie Hewitt, and amateur action man, Ed Buckley. Here's what's coming up.
1: Sport, you know, sport was always at school the one thing that I wasn't allowed to be involved Was PE was always the one thing I was taken out of and so I always felt my disability then and once I found sport it made me accept it a little bit more and it just made me see that, it, you know, it is okay, you know, I'm not different, I can actually probably do more than other people can now that I accepted the wheelchair. I
2: do understand now how failure is a good thing and how you can actually how it will push you to become a better person.
3: These days, it's so easy to just sit on your Xbox or PlayStation and do nothing for a whole day. The reason that I've recovered so well, considering how bad I was, is because I've stayed very active.
0: We're here to discuss sport, rehab and much more. So let's talk about it. So thank you for joining us, folks. First of all, we have to hear what you sound like. Good morning. Thank you for
2: having me on the podcast, the very first podcast.
0: You're very welcome. I like your very formal introduction there, Alfie. You're Alfie, right? Yeah, I'm not Hannah. Yeah, I'm Alfie. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Hello, I'm
1: Hannah. Hopefully a distinguishing voice, but you know.
0: We can tell you. You never
1: know.
3: Hello, my name is Ed Buckley. Thank you for having me. And may I say, the best Premier League football team is West Ham United. (laughs)
0: Well he's
2: oh. got <laughs> We've started the bay already. God.
0: <laughs> he's got that in early. So obviously you you are very well known people, but for anyone who's listening who doesn't know anything about you, give us the thirty second proud showreel of boasts that we need to know about you. So Hannah.
1: 30 seconds. That yeah. I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I'm five time Paralympic champion, 10 time world champion, three time European champion. Uh, I hold four world records and have broken between the four, uh, broken them 35 times over the 100, 200, 400, 800, and 1500 meters on the track. I'm a T34 wheelchair racer on the Great Britain team, and the T34 basically stands for athletes with brain damage.
0: Right, don't be intimidated, lads. <laughs> I don't know, I, I, uh, I don't know how I follow list. that, really.
1: All right.
3: Ed? No, no. <laughs> yeah, Ed, tell us about you. It's hard to follow that, but my name is Ed. I was a student at Leeds University. Was hit by a car, six months in a coma, and then was in hospital for 15 months. And then I thought life is the best therapy, so I went back to university in University of Hertfordshire and continue my rehab with lots of being active and lots of sport. So that's actually been very helpful for my ongoing physio. And what kind of sport? Since the accident, because of the balance being quite challenging, I got into rowing and started rowing at the Hertfordshire Uni Rowing Club at the River, the River Lee Rowing Club in London.
2: Alfie, tell us about you. Uh, so I'm a 21-year-old British wheelchair. Only just 21, Just turned right? 21 as well, yeah. So um, I'm a British wheelchair tennis player. I've won seven Grand Slam titles, two singles titles, um, one of those at the French Open, one of those at the US Open. Um, won three consecutive doubles titles at Wimbledon with, with Gordon Reid. And I'm currently number two in the world singles and number four in the world in the doubles. It's I'd say
1: that's pretty epic.
2: That's a good old list, isn't it? So when you reel this
0: stuff off, like how does it feel saying, I've got these titles, I've broken these records, I've been number one?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit surreal when you actually sit down and, and think about it. I think once, when when we're so in the moment, especially when you're at the event, you don't really think about any of that you're kind of so focused on what you're doing and it isn't until maybe you're lying there one night in bed or you're just kind of reviewing everything that's kind of gone on in your life and you look back and think wow I've actually done quite a bit and it's it's a proud moment for sure you know there's a lot of sacrifice a lot of hard work and an effort that's gone into it.
1: Yeah I think I'm I'm very guilty of never really registering what I've done. So I'll finish one race and I'll already be thinking about what's coming next, you know, what I'm aiming for now, what am I training for? So I don't think there's been a point yet in my career where I've kind of sat back and gone, that's actually me that's achieved that. Like, everything that you say it kind of becomes a real, like, this is what I've done. But actually in my head I'm thinking, and this is what I'm going to do next. Mm. Because that's all I'm thinking about. You know, the past is it's the past and it's history and it's fantastic to be a part of that, but I know that I've got so much more that I can give and I can go so much faster and kind of that's what I'm always thinking about rather than than what's been. So it's kind of sad in a way because I don't remember loads of 2012. I don't remember loads of Rio in 2016. Um, I can literally give you like the tiniest stories, but I talked to some of my friends and they can tell you like step by step every single step of their race and I'm like, "Um, the gun went and... Something happened and I finished. Like that's my story. I can't remember it at all. Um, and is so, that what
0: makes you good?
1: I don't know. I. I think that's what makes you hungry. I think that's what um, pushes you to the top because you're not living on past victories. You're always looking for the next one. Um, but what makes you good is the work that you put in. Really, you only get in what you. You only get out what you put in.
0: So Ed, when you listen to these guys, you know you're. At the moment, more at the grassroots level. Mm -hmm. So what does it feel like listening to these two talking about competing? Alfie just used the top level Mm -hmm. phrase.
3: No, it definitely inspires me and motivates me to get the best out of myself more. Because we all have challenges in life and you two have overcome these challenges and ended up competing at the top level, so... Well done to you both, and happy birthday, Alfie. Well. <laughs> Thank you.
0: <laughs> Once you take the plunge, and y- you're taking part in some kind of sport, what do you get out of it?
3: There's something psychologically good about when you're doing a sport and having a target, and you meet that target. It makes you feel good. and makes the people around you feel good. When I
2: started my like, I guess, sporting career in, in a wheelchair, it was more for the social element. You know, I was, I was isolated myself, isolated myself. Um, and going playing wheelchair basketball, joining a wheelchair tennis group with other disabled people, it helped me just find myself again.
1: Sports kind of made me accept my disability a little bit more. I was born with my disability. I had two cardiac arrests at birth. Um, after one of them I was dead for 20 minutes, so it left me with substantial brain damage. Um, but affected me in a way that doctors had never seen before and and they kind of just sent mom and dad away and said, mm, kind of expect her to never be able to do anything for herself, um, expect the worst and then whatever happens, you know, if she lives beyond her teenage years, then you you know, you're lucky. Um, and obviously I'm 26 now, so ta-da! Um, mom and dad don't class themselves as lucky sometimes. <laughs> um And I guess I was lucky because I I had that, you know, mum and dad behind me always just treating me. I've got two brothers um, that I... I always say totally normal, but they're (laughs) able-bodied. They're definitely not normal, but they're (laughs) able-bodied. Yeah, most Um, people don't say that about their (laughs) brothers. (laughs) Um, And they just treated me exactly the same as them. But then I always saw myself as the same as them. So sport, you know, sport was always at school, the one thing that I wasn't allowed to be involved with. PE was always the one thing I was taken out of. Um... And so I always felt my disability then and once I found sport, it made me accept it a little bit more and it made me work on some of the things that when you're young you don't want to work on, you know, from the age of three you're sat on a mat doing physio exercises and you're having to, you know, wear splints and twisters and use a walker and, and use all these bits of machinery to make your legs work, that's not a childhood. Um, and it kind of makes me wish that I'd found sport sooner, disability sport sooner, because it would have made all that so much easier. It would have made me not feel that much different when I'm at school and I'm six years old and I'm wearing big massive splints and massive boots with my little summer dress. Um, so it made me accept myself a lot more. Um, in some ways, it made my disability easier as well. It made me learn wheelchair skills. It, it forced me to do that. It forced me into a wheelchair, which took a lot, a lot of strain off my legs and my back. And... Um, and it just made me see that it, you know it is okay you know I'm not different because of my difficulties I can actually probably do more than other people can now that I have accepted the wheelchair so sport for me is so much more than pushing in circles um, and like Alfie said it's given me experiences that most of the world could only dream of having. I went to the biggest Paralympic Games ever. I went to London 2012 and won two gold medals. I travelled to Brazil.
0: Here she
2: goes. Um, (laughs) I
1: went to Christ the (laughs) Redeemer. I went up Sugarloaf Mountain. I've competed in front of 80,000 people. How many people dream of saying that? And because of my disability, I can say that.
0: And given that you were taken out of PE... and now I I was as well. Right. Wow. And now that you've both done what you've done, I mean... Does that just make you go, right, pfft, shut up, you lot who took me out of P.E.? I mean,
1: That was always my point. When I found sport, that was why I did it. it to was, show them? It was to show people that I could do anything I wanted if I wanted to do it. I think as a disabled child, you hear the word know a lot and can't and, and so many negative words of people telling you what what you can and can't do. And I was always brought up to, to decide that for myself. So at three years old, I had this really realistic dream that I wanted to be prima ballerina. Obviously, a brilliant <laughs> dream for a girl that can't really stand up. Um, but my mum went out of her way to to find me a ballet school that would take me. And she must have knocked on every door in Halifax. And only one lady said yes, but I danced there for 17 years. And it wasn't, you know, your typical ballet. It was just me elephanting around at the back. But... <laughs> I loved it and it was me getting active and it was me expressing myself and and making friends and and just enjoying everything that I did.
0: Here's an impossible question. So what proportion of your success do you think is down to you being naturally just really good and sporty versus that attitude of I'm going to show them?
2: (laughs) Um, I think... I think, as any top athlete, you have an element of just natural talent, no matter what kind of what sport you go into. And then the more time, the more practice you do, you obviously get better and better. Um, but it's a mental approach for sure, and you and you learn that along the way. I think when I first got into sport, I was very much someone that would give up easy, and um, whenever there was a, a barrier or a challenge, I would I would kind of walk away from it as such. Whereas this whole Career, it's learned to to keep plugging away at something. To understand that you are gonna have days where you're not good as maybe you could be, or if you have failures, it's not about it's not a bad thing. It's about actually learning from it and and taking that as an opportunity to get better. And that that's one of those things that athletes always say, right? Oh, failure, it's real opportunity to learn from it. Is that true? Hundred percent.
1: Yeah, hundred percent,
2: thousand percent. I would rather. I would. I think if you was in training and you had good session after good session after good session, and then you got to a competition and you didn't maybe compete as well as you could have done, you have no idea what you could have done to improve. And I like making mistakes in training, because it does come out in match, you know, tennis is one of those sports where you are making quite a lot of mistakes, you know, you're not going to make a ball in the court every single point or every single rally, you're going to make a lot of errors. And it's about accepting that failure. And that was something I found very tough when I was kind of coming up. Um, I would get into this really bad spiral after I lost a point or an easy game or whatever it may have been. And maybe maturity has kind of helped me along the way. But I do enjoy, or not enjoy, but I do understand now how failure is a good thing and how you can actually, how it will push you to become a better person or a better athlete.
1: I think this year is the first year that I've really experienced proper failure. Um, I'm not failure. I don't like that word. Um, I won my first ever silver medal this year at the European Championships. And although I know my reasons behind that silver, the rest of the world don't know those reasons. And that, that's that's fine by me. Um, but it really... I think I've been on top for that long I've we been on top for 10 years, I've been a 100 meter world record holder this year, that, that that world record got taken away from me. And um, one of my favourite quotes is by Lord Sepco. he said, world records are only ever borrowed. So just remember that one, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and um, it's the first time that anyone's kind of come up and challenged me. And it was really nice this year actually, for me not to know who was going to win the race, for the audience and the public not to know who was going to win the race. Um, and for me to have that extra bit of drive, this year I was really struggling with motivation because I had been at the top for so long. Um we had European championships, which in the grand scheme of things, once you've done a Paralympics and a World Championships, is it's not really anything. Our funding doesn't rely on it. Um it doesn't get any media coverage, it's not the biggest it's not the be all and end all of our sport. Um But going out there and coming second, you know, it was my first time sat on the silver spot on the podium and I didn't like it. And it taught me a lot about, I think I've just, not just myself, myself and my whole team around me have just sat back on our laurels for a long time now. We've not looked at my chair position. We've not tried to change training. We've just, you know, if it's not broke, why fix it? I don't think failure is ever failure unless you don't learn anything from it. Um, And I definitely learn every time I do something wrong.
0: There is research, I know, that says psychologically athletes who get the silver suffer more than athletes who get the bronze. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, silver hurts, man. Mm. Silver is not great.
3: Mm. When I was talking about meeting targets and you guys have met your targets very well... um, Till this year. (laughs) Sorry, I'll correct that. When you came second, just get out. (laughs) 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 I only want to share the room with successful people. (laughs) I'm second in the
2: world, so I'm out as well. (laughs) (laughs) Just you in here, then, Ed.
3: (laughs) I've done the superhero try twice. And the first. And that's a triathlon? The triathlon, yes. And sometimes people have. A person doing each leg, swim, bike, and run. But I thought I'd do all three. And when I did it first time round... I love
0: how casual hmm. this is. I thought I'd do all three, maybe.
3: (laughs) 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 And the first time I did it, I did all three, which everyone was very happy about, and I would say proud of me, but that makes make me quite arrogant, so... I'm sure <laughs> I mean, they were proud of you. You can, <laughs> well, you can own that. <laughs> I'm not them, so I can't say if they were proud of me, but I, <laughs> I hope they were proud of me, and I, my target became try and get the whole thing done in under an hour. So when I did it second time, that gave me a nice target to hit and I thought, right, get a good night's sleep before, have a nice, nice <laughs> diet in that's the morning. For down you, isn't isn't it? <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm sure that's what you guys do, right? <laughs> that's oh, what i yeah. completely, that's, <laughs>
0: good sleep that's done.
1: the thought behind it.
3: <laughs> <laughs> that is how to get from second place to first place, get a good night's sleep before. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, thank amen you for that, amen to thank that. you. Yeah.
3: Do you get a good night's sleep?
2: <laughs> or do you oh, get really God. nervous? I didn't go there. Um, I really struggle. Yeah, yeah, I really struggle with sleep, so it's um, it's something that I've actually been trying to sort recently. Um, get Ed's help. Uh, no, um, how do you get a good night's sleep, Ed? Um, Tell me, you must have been ex- you must have been buzzing, right? You must have been excited. I was
3: very excited, nervous. nervous but I gave I gave myself that target to meet, so psychologically in my head, I thought if I'm going to break an hour tomorrow, I'm gonna to have to go to have to get to sleep. So I put. The way I get to sleep is I put a show in my ears on my iPod, like South Park or something. (laughs) And that that just helps me drift off. I might
2: try this one next time. It's quite
3: funny. It's quite good. Is it?
2: (laughs) It's the
0: classic technique, isn't it? A
1: bit of South Park. I feel like that would keep me awake.
0: (laughs) You've all been involved in Don't Quit, Do It, right?
2: Mm -hmm. Amazing campaign. Amazing campaign. Why? Well, obviously, they're trying to get more people who are disabled into disability sport.
1: The amazing thing about the Don't Quit Do It campaign is, number one, that our stories are there. And it's not just stories like mine and Alfie's, it's stories like Ed's. And if you go on their website, it's so many different stories of people who have struggled in some way. And Erwin Mitchell have guided them into a sport and, and made them find this niche. And... It hasn't always been the first one that they've tried. You know, a lot of people think, oh, I just got in a race chair one day and I was world champion the next day. It didn't happen like that. It took five years of hard work to get there. But people have been guided and they've got that pathway and they've found something that they love. And, you know, Owen Mitchell are not encouraging people to become the next next Paralympic champions. They're encouraging people just to fall in love with sport and to fall in love with themselves a little bit as well.
3: Owen Mitchell are setting society. This is a goal you you should reach. Even though you have a few more challenges than others, let's see if you can do it. So,
0: let's talk about the challenges bit then. How much are you thinking about the challenges? Or at this point, are you just athletes?
1: For me, getting into wheelchair racing, I mean, getting into any parasport is the cost. You know, the equipment is the barrier. When I started wheelchair racing, um, I started when I was 15, which is actually quite late to start wheelchair racing. Most wheelchair racers start at seven or eight. Um, I eventually found the sport at 15. And I competed for two years in a chair that was built for like a fully grown man. And I was a 15 year old girl. and I was really lucky that I found the sport at that age, you know, I, I, I got invited along to a talent ID day at Loughborough University, and um, having been identified as a talented discus thrower, and uh, saw wheelchair racing there, and, and that's kind of how I got into it, but what if you're not already in a sport, you know, then I genuinely have no idea how I ever would have found wheelchair racing. Um, it's got better since London, there are, um, since London 2012, sorry, there are, you know clubs scattered around the UK but I mean you know I'm from Yorkshire so in Yorkshire we've got one one place you can go to try wheelchair racing you know one club in Leeds um, and they've got maybe seven or eight chairs um, and it's just so far flung and so you know a race chair is built to fit you as a person, so actually getting in a chair that is not built for you can massively put you off. You know, I remember starting in that chair, and and it's so wide that I constantly had like tire burn under my armpits, and it just hurt all the time. I'd have to sleep on my arms above my head because they were hurting. <laughs> um, and
0: uh, what I'm really interested <laughs> in is you're telling me that, and you're laughing and you're smiling, even though that must have been awful at
1: the time. But I loved it. I loved the <laughs> sport. I loved. Wheelchair racing gave me, up until the age of 15, you know, I'd played basketball, I'd I'd tried wheelchair tennis and was absolutely shocking at it. Um, I'd tried different sports but not really found one that was my niche. It wasn't one that I completely fell in love with. And when I found wheelchair racing, I just suddenly found this new air of independence. You know, I was a 15-year-old that... I'm not afraid to say I didn't like wheelchairs. I didn't want to, you know, the wheelchair to me was a symbol of disability. It was a symbol of things that you cannot do. And um, I didn't want that. You know, I was brought, brought up in a very able-bodied world. I went to mainstream school. I didn't know any other disabled people. Um, so I didn't want to be defined by a wheelchair. And so I just avoided them. And as soon as I got in the racing chair, I suddenly didn't have to depend on anyone else. You know, I didn't have to hold my dad's hand. I didn't have to always be careful because I was going to fall over. I didn't get told to slow down because I was going to, you know, trip over my own feet. You know, I was there, I was free, I was independent and I was doing it myself. Um, and that's what really drew me to wheelchair racing. And so getting in the chair and, and, and having all these, you know, grazes and, and whatever else all over your body, to me, it was just a symbol of like, I've actually found some freedom, and, and to get that freedom, sometimes you have to get hurt and just pick yourself up and
2: keep going. I was um, I was someone that lived an able-bodied life up until I was seven years old. Uh, got diagnosed with a, a hip condition, which then meant I had to, to be in a wheelchair, and that was a, a tough barrier and obviously a challenge that I had to overcome. I was a, a keen footballer at the time, I absolutely loved my football, I was on my feet, Pretty much every day playing football, and then having this kind of life-changing experience happen to me. It was it was a transition that not many um, go through, and uh, sport was my was my way out of the kind of uh, mental, I guess, frame of mind that I was in, which obviously was was a bad one. And um, I think at first it was it was never about being a, a Paralympian or being a top-level athlete at seven years old it was kind of just for that fun and enjoyment and so do you know i i when i started getting into wheelchair tennis i didn't have a sports chair i played in a red cross chair which was about double the size of me and had foot plates that go up like the nhs ones and i love these know, stories they're all like <laughs> when i was a lad <laughs> then did. I didn't have anti tips. so whenever i tried to go backwards i was on the floor so oh, wow. like you know that's that's what you've done at a young age and um it's come on massively at the young age. I was very much on the, on the you know, I was I was someone that maybe isolated myself and um, sport, like I said, was, was a way of, of making new friends and a way of getting involved back within, you know, society and, and kind of just being myself. Yet, yeah, if I look at the stats,
0: there are still lots of people with a disability who don't go anywhere near sport. So, why not? And... What would you say to them?
1: I think that the London 2012 in a way as fantastic as it was for Paralympians actually took it slightly too far so I mean I have met so many disabled people since London 2012 who have said you know I want to get involved in sport when I'm pushing down the street everyone asks me you know oh why are you not on the track against Dave Weir or Johnny Peacock or whoever and suddenly you know we got labeled the superhumans after uh, during London and it wasn't just the Paralympians that got labelled, it was disabled people in general. And what it's hard to make people understand is, no offence, but I'm going to be pretty sure that if you lined up next to Usain Bolt, you you might not (laughs) beat him. Maybe not. Um... And it's your choice to come and, and do these podcasts instead of go out and train and, and be an athlete. You know that's
0: what. It's not really my choice. <laughs> I think fate has decided that for me. <laughs>
1: but that's what you want to do. That's what Usain Bolt wants to do. And it's about pointing out there that as disabled people, um, not everyone wants to be a Paralympian. I'm really sorry to break that news um, because I know that the British public want us all to be Paralympians, but not everyone has that drive or that want to go out and compete. That's what we want as people, but not
2: everybody wants that.
0: Right, but there's a difference between the competing, yeah, bit, right, and competing at yeah. a really high level. Yeah, that's
2: that's what I'm say. Like, you know, when when if you if you're an able-bodied person, you know, how many people go running? How many people are joining clubs? Not not everyone wants to be, you know, a top-level athlete. They do it more for the benefits of physical activity and and the social element. And that's I think that's the same with within disabilities. Is not everyone is gonna to want to be the best um, in the world, it, but it's, it's what that sport can can bring in, in many other ways.
3: The word disability is actually quite unfair because the disabled people are still totally able, they just have a few extra challenges.
0: But it sounds like sport has done a lot for you, even without being at the super high level yet.
3: <laughs> no. Th- it definitely has, yes. It's it's nice, actually, that sport, getting involved in a team, has given me the whole team ethic and us all aiming for the same thing altogether. And the rowing has been good for my generic fitness.
0: So in all of this stuff, then, what are you most proud of? Because, interestingly, Ed, there, you were just slightly nervous talking about people being proud of you. I bet they are. What are you proudest of in yourself?
3: I'm proud of myself because the amount that these days it's so easy to just sit on your Xbox or PlayStation and do nothing for a whole day. And the reason that I've recovered so, so well, considering how bad I was, is because I've stayed very active and my physios would agree with that the fact that my balance has got better and my speech has got better
0: and you basically had to learn that stuff again from
3: scratch i did i learned that from scratch and being so active that has helped and also i've done lots of cool traveling as well hannah what are you proudest of
1: i think i'm proudest just of my independence i mean It's amazing to have all these medals and trophies and titles and whatever else comes with sport, but I very easily could have just sat back and, and like Ed said, just done nothing with my life and just accepted that I have a disability and that that's it, like, that's the end of it. Um, And I have so many friends that have just been wrapped in bubble wrap for their entire lives and have all these amazing opportunities ahead of them. You know, they get into sport and then... You know, they have the chance at a World Championships and it's in arm's reach, but they just don't want to push themselves that little bit harder in case they might, you know, hurt a little... It might hurt a little bit or it might just not be in that comfort zone. And I'm just really proud that I'm not afraid of that. I'm proud that, you know, we're in London. I'm proud that I can get here by myself. I'm proud that a tube doesn't scare me. I'm proud that I'm not afraid of my wheelchair anymore. I'm not ashamed of it. Um and just everything behind independence is i think my greatest achievement all
0: of your stories like if you write them down on paper if you write them down in two paragraphs of like either this is what i was born with or this is the accident that i had to to what you've achieved and you know becoming role models to other people if you were reading your own story back would it just blow your mind
1: Yeah, I think so. I think I read anyone's story <laughs> and I'm and I'm amazed by what they've achieved because I think because you're going through it yourself, you don't really register any of it. You just get on with it. Mm. Whereas I go back and I'll read Alfie's story or I read Ed's and I'm like, "Oh my god, that's amazing. That's incredible that they've been able to do that. Like they were they were, you know, this happened and look what they've made themselves into." And it's weird. It is weird to think that someone reads your story and thinks that. because we, it's, we get
2: inspired. Yeah,
1: it's just your real life. But we've all got, in the grand scheme of things, very similar lives, just different twists and turns. Um, And, uh, yeah, it, I don't think my life is inspirational. I absolutely despise the word inspiration anyway. <laughs> um, Why do you? It's too widely used. Um, <laughs> it describes every single disabil- disabled person in the world, apparently. And... It's kind of just lost its meaning a little bit, I think. Mm. Everything is inspirational. Everyone is inspirational. Yeah, that's fantastic. But what did you do with that inspiration? If I motivate you to get out of bed and go and do something, brilliant. But if I'm inspiring you because I got out of bed today and did something, I'm I'm not really interested because you've got to do that or else you're not living your life. So that's not inspirational.
3: The thing is, about the human, quite deep, but... Human, deep. <laughs> human, the human race... Our our focus is always to overcome the challenges we're given. And all three of us have been given challenges, quite severe challenges on a scale of naught to very challenging. We're quite high up. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sitting in the room with two people who have overcome their challenges so much that they become world-class at their events and sports
0: thank you folks if
3: you want to hear more
0: about these three superstars or disability sport head to our webpage at erwinmitchellcom slash let's talk about it and join us next time to hear tales of traveling with a disability from round your town to round the world i'm neil taylor and that was let's talk about it